Good afternoon. It's Friday the 18th of June 2021, just after one o'clock. Welcome to UK Column News. I'm your host, Mike Robinson. Joining me in the studio as usual on a Friday, Patrick Henningsen from 21st Century Wire. Welcome to the programme, Patrick. Great to be with you, Mike. Um, well, they're running the same playbook uh, this year as they did last year. And uh, so be prepared. You must be afraid. Uh, the Indian Delta variant, variant cases jump 80% in a week to 75,000 as data shows the mutant strain now makes up 99% of all infections in the UK. So how many people have caught it in your area, asks the Daily Mail. And we've got to be afraid. They provide us with some graphs from Public Health England that show the very fearful statistics on the right-hand side as the Delta variant, the so-called Delta variant, previously known as the Indian variant, uh, rises beyond everything else that's, uh, that's out there. And it's just, it's just making itself known everywhere, except for except for the Southwest here. Brian, uh, sorry, Patrick, there's no, uh, no Delta variant in Plymouth, uh, no Delta variant in Devon. Um, although there is, there is a rumor that uh, the Delta variant was imported into Cornwall because of some kind of recent international event and there's a possibility that the Cornwall uh, tourist season may be restricted severely. So, so we'll see, but certainly for Plymouth, there's no sure. Delta variant. Well, look at that map. I'm, I'm sure if they work hard enough, Mike, they can, they can get some of those those red dots down there in the south, in the southwest. What what will it take? What will it take, Mike? Some, some, some testing, some some PCR testing. Maybe hit a couple schools. Maybe find some meat packing plants. What do you think? It's it'll require some surge testing, but they haven't deployed any surge testing in the southwest yet. But look, mm. uh, it's uh, this is the report that they're talking about. Uh, it's the SARS-CoV-2 variants of concern and variants under investigation. In England, for some strange reason, the title doesn't include any trademark uh, uh, logo, but uh, we know that these are trademarks. Um, now, this now this one is now out of date because there's a, one published today, which the Daily Mail was talking about. We'll come on to that in a second, but let's just have a look at this one. Uh, this briefing, they say, provides an update on previous briefings up to the 3rd of June 2021. Um, so let's just have a quick look at what uh, it shows. Uh, and here's table four, which is all about case number, proportion, death, and case fatality rate of concern and very uh, for of variants of concern and variants under investigation from October 2020 until the 7th of June 2021. Um, and uh, well, the first thing is that the alpha variant, which is the UK variant, so-called UK variant, uh, is the worst. Um, it has had apparently uh, 215,560 cases confirmed through full genome sequencing. Uh, Patrick, if you can believe that, um, and that has resulted in 4,196 deaths. Um, so those are uh, confirmed deaths because of genomic sequencing. Surely that must be true. It must be because that's a very fancy word, isn't it? Genomic sequencing. That's pretty much foolproof forensic slam dunk, right? That That's how it's usually marketed. But actually, if you look a little bit deeper into that subject, which we may do more in future programs, uh, you'll find that it is not actually an exact science because underneath it all, uh, we still encounter some of the same fundamental problems that we've had since the beginning of the pandemic, Mike. That is a reliance on PCR testing and that type of technology, computer software programs, modeling programs in order to fill in the blanks as it were. So, but I think the, the Daily Mail headline is classic, Mike. In one headline, they said variant mutant strain. So they managed to combine all of those things together. And so in the ever-changing flexible world that is becoming pop modern virology, you can just amalgamate all of those terms together, even though according to modern virology, those are actually different 
separate categories, but they've just shoved them all together. So that shows you there's a disconnect between the way the press is handling, the, quote, the science, and the scientists are handling the science. So what's that left for the public, Mike? What? Well, these are good questions. Confusion. Absolute confusion. So let's try and unconfuse people. So uh, if you look at that, uh, they are claiming, therefore, that there was a case fatality rate with respect to the alpha variant, that's the UK variant, of 1.9%. Um, but if we head down to the delta variant, uh, uh, we find that there have been uh, 17,000 cases confirmed by full genomic sequencing so far, 42 deaths, and that leads us to uh, somewhere around 0.1% case fatality rate with respect to the Delta variant. Now, the narrative that's being pushed is that because the Delta variant is a more recent variant, uh, that this is uh, the case fatality rate has, is reduced as a result of vaccination. Well, we'll just have a look at that then. So from this particular report, which was the technical briefing uh, 15, uh, here's table six, uh, attendance to emergency care and deaths by vaccination status amongst Delta confirmed cases. Uh, and this is via sequencing and genotyping and so on in England. Uh, and this is from the 1st of February uh, until the 7th of June. And you can see that there are 33,206 total Delta variant cases, 42 deaths, uh, and that, uh, breaks down to 19,573 unvaccinated cases resulting in 23 deaths. Um, and we have a combination of these figures uh, to get to the, um, the vaccinated, to the people, because some people have died, uh, even though they were vaccinated. So, so let's, seven and 12, 19 well, in total. Well, let's, let's have a look at that then. So uh, cases, deaths and percentage. So unvaccinated, 19,573, 23 deaths. That results in a case fatality rate according to those figures. I'm not saying I believe those figures, but that's according to those figures of 0.117%, okay? Uh, you would expect the case fatality rate to be lower, would you not, if somebody had been vaccinated? Well, that's what you would assume if you believed in the, in the reporting and claims by government and the media. Okay, well, according to these figures, there were 9,344 vaccinated cases in total, resulting in 19 deaths, as you just said, and that's a case fatality rate of 0.203%, so that's double uh, what uh, the unvaccinated experienced. So although uh, there seem to be many more cases uh, in inverted commas in, amongst the unvaccinated population, uh, the resulting death uh, as a percentage is much lower. And actually, when you consider the, uh, the actual uh, objective numbers there, they're not so dissimilar. So anyway, this uh, report has now been updated. So let's look at the latest, uh, the, the latest uh, table, equivalent table. So there's now 60,000. 624 cases in total of the Delta variant and 73 deaths. Uh, and we have uh, 34 deaths amongst unvaccinated and there are 35,521 cases. And now we have, in fact, one death amongst people that uh, had been, you know, within 21 days of, the, of them receiving their first dose. So let's uh, look at that in a bit more detail. And what do we have? That we have 35,521 cases, 34 deaths. We now have a falling case uh, fatality rate uh, as time goes Effectively on. Effectively almost zero. 0.095%. 0 so not even a flea on the backside of an elephant. Correct. Uh, and uh, then we look at the vaccinated uh, story and that is still around the 0.2% range. So we've got 17,642 cases and 37 deaths. So we're significantly higher than double now. Right. Uh, amongst the vaccinated. So, so that, that really destroys the official narrative, Mike. But further than that, we'll just go back to that table. And let me just point out that cases and deaths, 
this, this, we're in the exact same, we're back to square, square one again, where we were in, in the spring of 2020. Yes. We're, all they've done is they've basically juiced up, sexed up uh, the identification of the alleged cases or the alleged deaths. And we, we don't see anything in the methodology of where's the clinical diagnosis that corresponds with their new uh, surveillance, fancy surveillance tool, which is genomic sequencing, which is basically a souped up uh, PCR uh, test uh, in many people's estimation. So um, we're, we're still in the same place. According to the WHO, Mike, you need clinical uh, diagnosis to go with uh, PCR testing or genomic sequence testing in order to make it a valid diagnosis because genomic testing and PCR are not diagnostic tools. You cannot diagnose an active infection with either of those. So where is, the, where is this in the methodology? And it's very hard to find. So we're asking this question, you know, they're not doing anything really different other than adding some new technology, fancy technology to where we were uh, 15 months ago. Well, I think what's, I think that's absolutely right. And I think what's uh, happening there, Patrick, is that we are being um, primed with, uh, to get used to this term of genomic sequencing. Uh, there's something else uh, at work here. And a lot of people uh, saw the video of Matt Hancock that was being shared. He had been speaking at the World Economic Forum. I think it was in uh, 2019. Um, and he was talking about the fact that he, as, as the Secretary of State for Health, because it's the Secretary of State for Health that owns the shares, uh, has uh, you know uh, holds all the sh all the shares of of genomics England. He said, a pr "I'm a proud shareholder." Right, proud uh, shareholder. And so there's something else going on here, and I think uh, you know Brian is going to have uh, some more information about that in the not too distant future. But in the meantime, Patrick, the question is, what is uh, happening with respect to hospitalizations uh, in with Delta variant and all the rest? I think Hugh Merriman, MP, had something to say about this. He did. So, Mike, the big news, of course, is that Freedom Day, or Victory Day, VE Day, uh, that Boris is hoping to really celebrate, we get the flags out, you know, do the whole thing on the mall, that's being delayed uh, because of the variant. The variant has crept up, and so they're pushing Freedom Day back. Mm. Uh, so the end of restrictions for, what, another month or... Well, it's four weeks... For now. They're bringing it forward. I think there's talk that maybe that's too long and then they'll push it back again. Who knows with this government, right? But there's one MP from Sussex, I believe, and he's uh, Hugh Merriman, and he had this to say uh, on the floor of the Commons. When the um, academics at Imperial College modelled what Freedom Day, being the 5th of July, as they modelled it, would look like in terms of hospital numbers, uh, they came up with a figure of 7,000. Warwick University came up with 1,750. The figures of COVID inpatients are currently under 1,000, so better than expected. In my in the combined county of Sussex, with 1.6 million residents, there are six COVID inpatients. In my own county of East Sussex, there are two from those six. And interestingly, they didn't present with COVID. They didn't get admitted because of COVID. They just got tested whilst they were being admitted and were found to have COVID and included in the numbers. So the hospitalisation numbers are looking much better. The NHS now has the resilience. But what is striking to me, Madam Deputy Speaker, are the numbers of people who are waiting to have their lives enhanced by elective treatment. Five million people in England alone are waiting for surgery. Over 400,000 of those have been waiting over a year Prior to COVID, that figure was 1,600. 
So that demonstrates what restrictions do to the wider health impact on people. Those people deserve a life too. They deserve to be looked after. There shouldn't be an apartheid system when it comes to our health service. Well, that's quite a strong uh, term to use, apartheid system, in this case. Uh, but of course, the question is how many of those uh, statistics that he was talking about are in the figures that we've just mentioned uh, with respect to the variants? For, for instance, like people that came to the hospital, they didn't have any COVID and they were tested mm -hmm. and all of a sudden they go into that category. And that's what, you know, he was talking specifically and this about. Is this is largely because the, the idea of the asymptomatic spreader, is that myth is still absolutely at the centre of everybody's mind. So there's an automatic assumption that this uh, asymptomatic story is real. And therefore, if you get a positive test, you're therefore, uh, you know, capable of spreading and, and, and you are a case. And that's, so that's, yeah, you're now you're getting to the core of the whole pandemic narrative. The asymptomatic spreader is the basis for lockdown. It's the basis for masks. It's the basis for social distancing. It's the basis for school closures. It's the basis for business closures. It's the basis for pretty much everything. It's the basis for a mass vaccination rollout. It's the basis for an emergency use authorization of an experimental pharmaceutical product that has not had any long-term safety testing or research done on it, okay? It's all based, it's predicated on the myth, the myth of the asymptomatic spreader. I'm saying the myth, Mike, because when you look at all the peer-reviewed literature on asymptomatic spreads, which we've shown on this program a number of times, which you can Google yourself, mm -hmm. okay? We'll probably pr publish more or say more about it in the future just to help people review the literature. But the most cited literature on this shows that there is no such thing as asymptomatic spreading driving epidemics. It just doesn't exist, not in any of the peer-reviewed scientific studies. So but everybody is still talking about it mm -hmm. like it's a fact. Judges are ruling on it. Cases are being ruled on because of the, 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 the fear of the asymptomatic spread, the danger, the risk of the asymptomatic spreader. Teachers are saying that students are putting teachers' lives at risk if they're not masked or vaccinated. That's based on the myth of the asymptomatic spread. So this is a great clip here by, we have by Mike Eden, Dr. Mike Eden, a former head of respiratory research at Pfizer Pharmaceuticals. He's talking to Dell Bigtree uh, from the High Wire this week. You can get this full interview, by the way. I encourage people to watch it uh, either at 21st Century Wire or go to the High Wire's website directly. But listen to this. The thing that really triggered me in the middle of the year was when I was told um, that people without symptoms can be a respiratory viral threat, a respiratory health threat to other people. Now, I knew that wasn't true. Remember, this is my area. I've worked in pulmonary disease uh, for 32 years in total. Why, do I, why am I confident that this so-called asymptomatic transmission is, is a lie? In order to be a good source of infection, you need to have a lot of virus in your airway. If you only have a little bit of virus, you really can't breathe it on people. The chances that you'll be able to infect someone else uh, is very low. So the more virus you've got, the better the source of infection. That Your mother could tell you that, you know, blow your nose and don't cough on people. That's This is the basis of it. So, but people, here's a critical point. People with lots of virus in their airways will have symptoms. No question, no arguments. Why? That's because the virus is attacking the lining cells of your lungs. That's what it does. It, it burns through like, a, like a, a moss fire under the ground. 
So it's infected you and it's infecting one cell and another than another. And your body doesn't like that and you, you will feel that. But the other thing is your immune system, if you're immunocompetent, will be attacking the hell out of the virus. And you'll feel that too. So if you've got lots of virus, you will have symptoms. You will have symptoms. That means people without symptoms can't have much virus. That's true. And that means people without symptoms can't infect other people. And the, so this is the theoretical. I knew that that would be theoretically right. And there's been lots of literature. And there's one really big study. And then what they did is they compared hundreds of people, or they followed hundreds of people who were PCR positive, and they split them into two groups. If they were PCR positive with symptoms, like a typical person who's got a bad respiratory infection, they found they infected another household member about 18% of the time. So it's not, not as much as you would think. And partly that's because there was a lot of prior immunity in the population. So that's pretty clear. So he goes on to explain about how, you know, it just doesn't show up in any of the studies. Um, so that's Mike Eden. So, you know, but don't take our word for it, Mike. Don't take our word for it. Let's rewind the clock. Or even Mike Eden's word for or it. Or even Mike Eden's word for it, because, uh, you know, he's just uh, somebody who's on the internet now. He's been relegated to the to the internet and out of the mainstream media. Let's Let's talk to, let's hear what the high priests of the Pharisees of the pandemic have to say, let's turn the clock back, not back to the uh, uh, before the millennia, uh, first millennium, Mike, let's, let's just go back to March or 2020 or February 2020. This is Lord Fauci himself explaining to you the science that's been well established for a very long time in our history. Here's Fauci. To just add one thing that seems to get lost in that question is that, as Bob said, and I agree, we would really like to see the data because if there is asymptomatic transmission, it impacts certain policies that you do regarding screening, et cetera. But the one thing historically people need to realize that even if there is some asymptomatic transmission, in all the history of respiratory-borne viruses of any type, Asymptomatic transmission has never been the driver of outbreaks. The driver of outbreaks is always a symptomatic person. Even if there's a rare asymptomatic person that might transmit, an epidemic is not driven by asymptomatic carriers. And yet our policy has been driven by the principle that asymptomatic carriers drive everything. And, and that's the last time you ever heard Fauci even say that publicly. He changed his view on the science, much like the Vatican back in the medieval days uh, and this, this is adopted very, the flat earth uh, policy. Yeah. <laughs> but this is a very key point, isn't it? Because we've seen uh, so much that was uh, correct up until March 2020 suddenly just be turned on its head. Yeah, it, it, they just did a U-turn and, and, and the rest is unfortunately is history. Um, but Hey, you know, so if anyone's arguing you about this and you're out there listening and you're like, what are these guys talking about? Um, we are literally quoting what is out there in on mass in terms of uh, scientific studies. And we just played you Fauci there. So, you know, how people interpret the science is very often political and has nothing at all to do with actual science. Right. And we've just proven that. Um, okay, now let's uh, move on to this. Reuters has a fact check, art fact check article published. 
Uh, and uh, it's his headline, Fact Check, British Airways is not in crisis talks with government over vaccinated pilots. So what is this uh, all about? Well, there's been quite a bit on social media, including an interview with someone uh, or a statement by someone on, on video talking about uh, the fact that, that four young pilots belonging to uh, working for British Airways have uh, passed away in the last... Uh, now, that's a typo on that. Uh, I think that's a bit of autocorrect going on there. So the, the, uh, the tweet is supposed to say, I believe it was actually four young pilots who died due to the vaccine. Um, and we have seen it in local press. So this is uh, the New Valley News, airline pilot in mystery death, one of the four, we believe. Um, and well, British Airways therefore produced a statement uh, on Twitter saying, sadly, four members of our pilot community passed away recently. Our thoughts are with their family and friends. However, there is no truth whatsoever in the claims on social media, speculating that the four deaths are linked. So let's come back to the um, Reuters article and see what it said. Uh, they said, Reuters presented the claims to British Airways, which said they were unfounded and that no such talks were underway with the government. The spokesperson, however, confirmed the authenticity of the four condolence books uh, as four company pilots had recently passed away. Our thoughts are with their family and friends, they said, adding that none of the deaths was linked to the vaccine. Uh, and then it, it uh, went on to quote uh, the uh, MHRA. Uh, and uh, this is uh, what uh, Dr. Sarah Branch said. Uh, we have not been made aware of deaths uh, of BA pilots after receiving the COVID-19 vaccine uh, and have not had discussions with BA or other airlines. Okay, that's fair enough. But then it comes on and says this, uh, ab sorry, about preventing uh, pilot pilots from flying after receiving the COVID vaccine. This is what it, she went on to say. Our advice remains that the benefits of the vaccine outweigh the risks in the majority of people, now I think this is the first time I've seen the MHRA qualify it in quite that way, um, but what does that mean, Patrick? In the majority of people means what, 51%? What, what, what does that mean? They're really widening the berth there, Mike, by saying the majority of people, because as you say, this, this opens up to what, half the, half the population? And where do you draw the line? That's a really vague, arbitrary line that's being drawn there. And, and that doesn't speak to a lot of certainty coming from the MHRA, are they having second thoughts? Are they backpedaling well, on previous confident statements about the omni omnipotency and great power of the vaccine that we should all have 100% confidence? Well, in? this is a very good question because if we go back just one week, we find June Rain saying that the benefits outweigh any risk. The benefits of the vaccine outweigh any risk. That's the, that is unequivocal. It's unqualified. It's absolutely cl clear. She is saying that the benefits of this vaccine outweigh any risk. But that's not a science. That is not a science-based statement. That is a uh, that's an opinion that's based on qualitative opinion. Well, that, that's absolutely correct. But none, none, nonetheless, Patrick, she was prepared to take that take that position very clearly. That position, but her colleague isn't prepared to take that position. Her colleague has walked back somewhat from that position in the majority of people. We don't have a definition for what in the majority of people means. We don't have uh, any clear understanding of whether the majority of people are being given uh, the opportunity to find out whether they fall into the majority category or the minority category whenever they go for their vaccination. In fact, I think we know that they don't because there's no suitable uh, advice given whatsoever. So I think this is a very important, uh, very important statement from the MHRA. And the question is, are they starting to walk back from the previous 
position, but let's just come back to the, uh, the Reuters fact check then. Their verdict is that uh, the statement is false. British Airways is not in crisis talks with the British government about vaccinated pilots. Well, okay, British Airways has denied that they are, so they may well take that position. But uh, Reuters goes on to say four pilots have recently dies, died and British Airways says none of these is linked to vaccines. So I would like to know how qualified British Airways is to make this assessment. Um, these people have passed away recently. Have there been postmortems done? I don't. I believe they probably have not, but at least they couldn't possibly be complete by this stage. As a corporate, so, as a corporate statement, there. Do you, the question is: Do you trust the corporation? Is it in their interest to uh, raise an alarm, or is it their interest to dampen any concerns from a public relations point of view? What do well, you not think? just from a public relations point of view, but also from the point of view of their relationship with their employees. And because I'm quite sure their employees have been encouraged, at the very least, by the company to take the vaccines in the first place. That's right. And also their relationship with the government, Mike. Because uh, the British, British Airways, like every other corporation, has, has been receiving some assistance, have they not, directly from the government over the last 15 months, and probably due to receive more bailouts in the future. What do you think? Do you think there's going to be a bailout for the airline industry to keep some of these companies, some of these companies some, yes. afloat? Yes. Probably yes. They're Probably going, indeed. The government will pick winners and losers on this. So, so this, just on the back end of what you just showed us too, at the same time, Mike, a full court press took place right across the media and social media. And the same statements and the same claims are being made here. Uh, this is on, uh, on Twitter. This is from the WHO. Scientists and public health experts say that vaccines are safe for most people, Mike. Most people. So this is even back from the majority that you just said. This is further backpedaling most people. How do we determine what is most people here? And, and they, they drop this caveat here. It's safe for most people. And then always embedded at the bottom of all of these uh, news releases is here. Uh, how vaccines are developed and tested. Health experts and the World Health, Health Organization have explained that vaccines go through several testing phases. Uh, only a couple of months of testing in this case involving thousands of volunteers. That's not actually true. They're being paid, okay? I think in almost every case. And we, we do have the figures on how much they're paid, by the way. Uh, and we're just collating those uh, at the moment, Mike. But we do have some direct information on that. Okay. It's in the thousands. It's in the thousands of pounds. So any low-income people, do you think they're tempted, possibly, to uh, join one of these studies and be paid, I don't know, three or four thousand pounds to be injected with this? Is this the sort of rigorous testing that they're talking about here? And, and for pregnant women, I'm sorry to go on a, a rant here, Mike, but how can you know the long-term effects on babies or mothers if you can't even run a study that goes more than nine months, disconnect. Yes. Or I don't know, maybe we got that wrong. Are babies born in, in four weeks? They are on TV and soap operas like EastEnders, but not in the real world. It's normally nine months. So those are the sort of questions that we have for the regulator on, on this, Mike. But here's the, the WHO the, uh, story they're pointing to here. Statement for healthcare professionals how the COVID-19 vaccines are regulated for safety and effectiveness. They're really trying hard to sell this to the public that it's safe and effective. If it was really that safe and effective, 
Do you think they would need to sell it this hard? No. Get this get the celebrities out to uh Oh, and the, the latest group of celebrities in the UK, by the way, is is the boxing community. So now boxers and boxing promoters are now pushing as hard as they can. That's the latest crop. Okay, so yeah, so it's take the knee, Black Lives Matter, now it's get the jab. Yes, uh, basically. because that's the best jab you can get. The that's boxing jab is not the best jab you can get. Oh, it's it's, it's the the needle it, is the best jab you can right. get. Right. So so maybe the box the professional boxers will be doing da uh, musical dance videos with James Corbin. Uh, James is this James Corden? Corden. Yeah. James Corden. Yeah, in a tutu, doing ballet moves around the streets of Harlem, whatever, with Ariana Grande. That would be a nice. Thing to watch that might encourage more people to get the jab. What do you think, Mike? Could uh, anything's possible? I think it could. So, so we move to social media here, and this was tweeted here by uh, an English gentleman. Uh, tweeted this. So, did celebrities sing and dance when uh, flamidamide was marketed? Uh, now, this might be a disturbing uh, picture for people, but let me assure you that it was a disturbing event for people who were victims of this wonder drug mm. that was deemed safe and effective by governments and pharmaceutical giants. And that's just one example yeah. of many. Do you really want us to do a list of all the drugs that have been recalled, of all the adverse reactions, all the deaths, all the lawsuits, the billions of dollars or billions of pounds in settlements for victims of, I don't know, where do you want to start? The flying Tamiflu, Pandematrix, uh, the swine flu vaccine, uh, 1976, 2009, uh, other drugs. I mean, how many? Do a Google search. Oh, uh, there's lots of them. So, so, but we're we're all meant to believe that no, no, that's over now. That's over. They've mended their ways. The pharmaceutical giants don't do that anymore. They don't make mistakes. Everything they do, especially when they rush it, is going to be 100% safe and effective. We've all been gaslit to actually believe that in the last 12 months. And that is one of the biggest lies of them all. Um, but uh, more people speaking out on injury. More people and uh, some people in the alternative media, sadly, sadly, uh, have um, have been talking about their experiences with with the jab, Mike, adverse reactions. And I'm very sad to report that Jimmy Dore, uh, who a lot of people are familiar with, uh, Jimmy Dore, uh, had the Moderna mRNA, experimental mRNA vaccine recently, and has been having uh, very serious adverse reactions. He's using his platform to talk about it, which I think is a very brave thing for him to do, uh, especially because he was very pro-vaccine before this, mm -hmm. very pro, he's, you know, lockdowns. Most people on the political left, um, this isn't a political statement, it's just a fact, mm -hmm. um, that Trump was used, and Jimmy Dore will comment on this in this clip we're about to show you, but they used Trump to divide people on lockdowns, COVID, and vaccines. Mm -hmm. So if you question anything, you were a Trumper. Or if, you know, so and Jimmy Dore rightly points this out, and I, I have to give him a lot of credit for really being honest on this. Let's listen to this clip. I'm still suffering from the effects of the COVID vaccine. I had the Moderna, and I had my second shot on April 17th. So now it's June, what, 9th today? So I'm still, I still have flu-like symptoms body aches joint pains and tiredness that comes in waves you know the, how you feel body aches i start feeling it in my knees when i go up and down the stairs I, my neck always when i wake up my neck is always so uh, by the way i went to my primary physician she says yeah i'm treating five people who have exactly like you 
One of them was a, is a neurologist. One of them is a nurse. And they were afraid to talk about their symptoms because they didn't, they didn't want to be stigmatized and ostracized because that's the, that's the culture we're living in now. You can't step out. You know, if I criticize Dr. Fauci, they'll call me a trumper. Uh, so that's the world we're living in. My cardiologist, when I went in and I told him I, uh, I was feeling, I wanted to check my heart, make sure I didn't have inflammation in my heart. I told him about, you know, I'm being, that this is from the vaccine I've been having. And he just shook his head. He goes, man, I'm seeing lots of bad reactions to this vaccine, everybody. Like that. That's what my cardiologist said. Well, that's pretty clear. Yeah. So, again, more, and this is beyond anecdotal stories now. There's just too many uh, reports. And also we're looking at the, the yellow card data in the UK. We're looking at the various data. We're looking at the euro uh, the European EU Euro, Euro vigilance data as well, and it's already up in the thousands in terms of uh, fatalities, over 10,000, right? And in terms of overall injuries and adverse reactions, I mean, so at what point do you, do you can you continue to ignore the mountain of evidence, the mountain of data that's being generated here? And there's just so much gaslighting going on. We just showed you the the the, the reaction from government, the regulators, the WHO. The mainstream media, they're all banding together yeah. to basically try to discredit or cover up any reports or anything that questions the vaccine rollout. Social media companies are censoring hell for leather to take down posts that, that might hurt. Facebook was exposed for doing this. Uh, we reported on this uh, when Project Veritas. Facebook said even factual reporting, if it hurts the vaccine rollout, they're going to demote it or right. they're going to censor it. So, okay, so, so you know, uh, the UK government, Patrick, uh, seems to have walked back somewhat from its position that it was going to start vaccinating school children in September. We'll wait and see whether it actually uh, confirms that or not. But that certainly seems to be the direction of travel at the moment. But uh, the, one of the concerns uh, was the effect in younger people of the vaccines and the adverse reactions with respect to hearts of younger people. Uh, and... Uh, so you would have thought that, uh, bearing in mind there are young people, children are being vaccinated in the United States already, that the CDC might want to get to the bottom of that problem as soon as possible and make sure that they aren't uh, seeing more people injured or killed uh, as a result. Well, uh, let's just first of all uh, recognize this. This is The Guardian. Uh, and Joe Biden has signed a bill making Juneteenth a federal holiday. Now, what is Juneteenth? Many people won't know. It's a federal holiday in the United States now celebrating the emancipation of African-American slaves. It's always on the 19th, uh, which is tomorrow, which is a Saturday. Um, and uh, so then we've got to ask the question, if it's on the 19th, why has the CDC decided to stop uh, or to, to, to delay its meeting discussing the adverse reactions of uh, vaccines on children with respect to heart inflammation and heart problems uh, for, what's that, about a week? Uh, so they're saying the June 18th, 2021 COVID-19 meeting is being rescheduled due to the observation of the, uh, of the Juneteenth National Independence Day holiday. Uh, the discussion will be rescheduled to be included as part of the June 23rd to 25th ACIP meeting. So that's uh, not, not a high priority, is it? Seems like it's not a high priority for them. So no. the health of the nation's children, so the same organizations that are demanding that children who are at statistically zero risk of even getting a cough from, from the novel coronavirus, okay, 
that, that their health is, is not a priority, that the priority is a new political uh, holiday. That's correct. So thank you very much to the person who uh, passed me uh, that note from the CDC. Um, but in the meantime, Patrick, sticking with children for a second, of course, we've got to continue to sell vaccination to children and what there must be a really excellent way to do that. Well, the celebrities is one way. Uh, there's music videos that are being released by different YouTube influencers. I mean, this stuff is just uh, insane. It really, it, it smacks of end times. <laughs> it's so bad. So in uh, probably the worst uh, state for, for this type of propaganda is the People's Republic of California, uh, led by Chairman uh, Gavin Newsom, who's due to be recalled hopefully this summer. Uh, a lot of people have just had it with this guy. I mean, he, he's the one that was caught dining in the most yes. expensive restaurant while he was without masks, while he had the whole state locked down and told them to mask up and businesses were closed and so forth. So here's Newsom giving away uh, free tickets on roller coasters uh, for the people that get their vaccines. And they're really targeting children here. So I'm going to say this, Mike, if, if we're going to talk about informed consent with children, okay, there's limits even to Gillick competence mm. with regards to uh, in schools because it, it, the teachers are deemed to be influencers uh, over uh, children. Uh, they're in influential positions. Kids yes. cannot make informed dissent a consent uh, a decision based on information alone. There's other factors. And so if you talk, talk about propaganda, bribing them, offering them candy, offering them theme park tickets, uh, working on their parents in the same fashion, this, this is really gonna really mess up the whole concept of informed consent because it becomes a propagandizing exercise. Just watch this and tell us what you think. Governor Newsom rides revolution at Six Flags Magic Mountain. The governor in the front row of the ride. Was it fun? I mean, say you want a revolution, come here. <laughs> Young Elliot riding with him. It was the best thing ever in my whole life. The governor announcing that Six Flags is giving 50,000 free tickets to the next 50,000 Californians who get vaccinated. 50,000 people, 65 locations. Get vaccinated and get in free and come down to Six Flags. This is the second day in the row that Governor Newsom has visited a local theme park. The governor marking June 15th with a trip to Universal Studios complete with Minions, Trolls and Shrek. Oh, there's the first one. Here we go. He picked 10 winners of one and a half million dollars each. The number is, the number is 23. I know I've always wanted to be a game show host. Uh, for you, is there part of you that's always wanted to be a game show host? And what is it like being a game show host? What is like, well, you know what? There's nothing more fun than feeling like you're Oprah. Yeah. Million dollars for you, a million dollars for you, a million for you. The governor's office credits all these giveaways for vaccinations increasing 22% across the state. L.A. County Supervisor Catherine Barger and State Senator Henry. You get the picture. Yes. This is, uh, I, I didn't know that film, The Idiocracy, was a documentary. I thought it was a science fiction, but apparently it was a very prescient documentary. Mm. Uh, that is insane, what you just witnessed there. And let me tell you, that's the norm in America right now. That's how badly they've lost the plot.
Yes. On this. Um, okay, well, let's. Uh, is, it, is this the Daily Telegraph return of holidays if you're vaccinated? Sure, sure. If you're vaccinated. So, what they're saying here, Mike, is that uh, double jabbed Britons could be, not certainly, but could be allowed to travel to amber list countries without quarantining. So, the message that's being sent on the front page of this mainstream media outlet, Mike, is that if you get your double jab, you can bypass any of the sort of inconvenient. Uh, barriers and so forth, and you can travel freely. But this is just more carrot and stick uh, uh, smoke and mirrors being done by the media. Because every time you see these reports, Mike, you then see a U-turn a couple of days later, the yeah. government saying something, and then the media comes out and says something totally different. Mm-hmm. Literally, they've got this; they've got the public in a state of confusion, and this is going to induce a level of cognitive dissonance and paralysis in people that we are seeing right now. Yeah, yeah. We're talking to people, Mike, are you, you're hearing this as well. I know Brian's hearing the same thing. People do not understand what's going on because they're being bombarded with ch- pivoting and mixed messaging and U-turns like literally every day yeah. from the government and the media. And we have to ask the question, is this a strategy or is this just a byproduct of uh, confusion and miscommunication or people just not knowing what's going on? Which one is it? It's a strategy. I'm gonna not gonna say that for certain. It is a strategy. It certainly seems like it because we we're, we are seeing patterns emerging. So on this issue of traveling, Mike, um, some disturbing news came out of Ireland this week. I mean, Ireland has really become the vanguard of if you believe that there's a European Soviet uh, in the works, uh, the European Union, Ireland will be the vanguard of that. There'll be the Australia beta testing bed for the most extreme uh, adoption of policies. Now look at this. Uh, This story is just something else. Apologies for the flag there. We added that. New Irish Soviet uh, state bans seniors over 60, Mike, uh, from traveling until they've had their second dose of the AstraZeneca jab. So this is a bit shocking, but let's look at what the Irish Independent says here. More than 400,000 people who are waiting for a second dose of the AstraZeneca COVID-19 vaccine have been told they cannot travel abroad, if you can believe this. And further on that, they're also saying the vaccine bonus, they're calling it a vaccine bonus. For those who are a month on from their first AstraZeneca jab, you can see the hurdles they put in place here, uh, does not involve foreign travel. The updated advice from the uh, health services has warned here. And uh, the last part of this is people in their 60s and a significant number of those with underlying conditions have been left waiting for a second dose of the vaccine. This is the way the media have spun it, uh, which will take at least eight weeks, but may take even longer for many. So you see how they're saying that, oh, the government's making them wait. It's not that they're restricting their travel based on having a, a pharmaceutical product, Mike. They're, they're, the way that's being spun in the media is that, oh, there's nothing wrong with the vaccine or being made to take a, a double dose of a vaccine to travel, this kind of Soviet style of travel restrictions that, no, 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 it's because they're having to be inconvenienced with a longer wait yeah. before they travel. So this is a very subtle spin here. And then just finally, um, they can avail of the vaccine bonus with one dose after 28 days, again, trying to create a maneuvering with this new bureaucracy of vaccines uh, to allow a certain limited meeting uh, up with others indoors, but this does not include foreign travel. So again, uh, in the Soviet Union, we had this where the government was restricting citizens' ability 
to travel outside of the uh, Soviet Union or, or on the other side of the Iron Curtain. They won't be given permission to travel. This is a basic right, a basic human right, a basic internationally recognized right. Uh, and this is now being basically curtailed and put under a vaccine or a medical uh, sort of um, regime. Um, and so, for example, just to take this another step, um, if you want to travel to Ireland at present, at this moment in time from the UK, um, you can do that, but uh, you have to have a uh, non-NHS privately obtained PC negative PCR test uh, within 72 hours of the point you are traveling, enter entering into Ireland. Uh, and then you must quarantine for 14 days at the addresses on your passenger locator form. Um, uh, but you can get out after 10 days if you take a PCR test at five days and the 10 days and both of those turned out to be negative. If you're fully vaccinated, that means both doses uh, and you're traveling from the UK to Ireland, you still have to quarantine in Ireland for five days and you're only allowed out if you pass a, if you ret return a negative PCR test. Now those rules are uh, running up until I believe the end of July, at which point the EU vaccine passport comes out. But in order to qualify for that passport, as Patrick has said, you've got to have both doses of your vaccination. Um, and then the rules are relaxed for traveling within the Eurozone area, but there's still uh, problems about coming from to and from the UK. Now, this is very interesting because uh, the UK and Ireland uh, are part of the common travel area. There's supposed to be zero borders and zero controls between the UK and Ireland. Um, and this is a treaty that has stood uh, since whenever, I think it was the 1920s or so. So uh, there is a breach of treaty going on here, a breach of international law. Uh, and uh, what's the justification for it? Um, well, we know what it is. It's emergency powers. So it's, but this breach has just been brushed under the rug. No one's talking about it. What about the Good Friday Agreement? How does this affect the Good Friday Agreement? Is there still a border between Northern Ireland? Well, and I was, I was asking. I mean, is, this, is this now a vaccine border? How far does this go? Well, I was asking uh, my, uh, for my parents and others in, in Northern Ireland, what's the situation with crossing the border? Because it's very interesting. There's no restrictions uh, on crossing the, uh, the, the North Channel between Scotland and Northern Ireland. So there's nothing to stop somebody traveling uh, to Northern Ireland and then just simply walking across the border. It seems to be. Uh, it's only if you're actually going through a port in the Republic of Ireland. So, so it, you know. Uh, interesting, isn't it? It's an interesting situation. So, so the, the, the draconian measures, um, a lot of people are shocked about what's going on in the Republic of Ireland, uh, not least of all Irish uh, people themselves. Mm -hmm. There's a number of court challenges, legal challenges. Uh, so hopefully we'll be reporting on those next week, Mike. But look at this. This is uh, from the Irish Independent. New Garda powers will allow members of the force to demand phone passwords. Uh, while periods of detention can be extended. Let's just uh, blow that up. Those who refuse to provide access codes for their device could face a maximum jail term of five uh, years. Uh, is this, you know, that, that, that doesn't even fly in, in, in the UK at the moment, does it? I mean, is that more extreme than the laws that we have here? Uh, there have been cases where people who refuse to give um, their access to their devices ended up in prison. Uh, but those, uh, correct, people will correct me if I'm wrong in this, but I believe that those were uh, cases where these people were being convicted or were being arrested for quite serious 
crimes, for example, child pornography and things like this. Or international terrorism. Um, or that kind of thing. So I'm not clear that, uh, that, that, is, that there's anything established in this country with respect to uh, access codes for people that haven't uh, been arrested for an offense. So we'll look into this story further, hopefully get some more information yes. uh, about it. But you know, we're not the only ones saying this. A lot of people are uh, surprised and shocked. Uh, with what they're seeing here. But just back on the airline uh, story, Mike, uh, let's take a look at this. Uh, the airlines debunked rumors vaccinated travelers won't be allowed to fly uh, due to blood clot fears. Now, uh, the, the, the fact checkers are interesting. When you, if you read the fact checking, you can really see what's been. You've got to be very careful when you read this and, and look very carefully at the language because they are spinning the facts in right. inverted commas. Yeah, and also they might do a fact check on something that week, but of course they don't know for sure because that story, the arc of that story hasn't been fully developed, And but they never go back and, and correct their fact checks very correct. rarely. So they just stand up there on, on Google searches. But on this one, where did this story come from? So according to this ABC Australia here, uh, this is from a fake Facebook post in mid-May. Uh, this quote is someone saying, I heard that someone who has contacts inside the airline, uh, and they are now discussing that the injected uh, should not be allowed to fly. And so again, we'll just bring that slide off. So that was made as a reaction to uh, 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 statements that were being made at the time by the Qantas uh, CEO, I believe his name is Alan Joyce, mm -hmm. uh, regarding requiring vaccinations to travel uh, on Qantas uh, Airways. And then we see this story pop up on Facebook. Now, it could very well be a fake news story, Mike. Uh, there's a lot of posts on social media that li literally people are kind of saying anything or they're passing on rumors and passing on rumors of rumors. Uh, so, But the fact checkers will always seize on anything that they can cherry pick off of social media. And they use that to basically create, uh, they, to gaslight people away from real stories that are related to that actual mm -hmm. topic. So uh, thrombosis on flights, people who have had bad reactions to the vaccine will have blood clotting, will have thrombosis. This is proven that could be exacerbated by traveling on airplanes. Yes. Common sense. So you can see this is one of the most insidious ways that the fact checkers uh, use to basically divert or, or to discredit genuine inquiry into a really important topic. And I'm going to tell you, lives are at risk. Lives are at risk. So if the media is not informing the public as to the risks that are very real and using these cheap fact-checking stunts in order to crush and, and shut down debates, then the mainstream media is, has, has got a problem on their hands because they are a party to, to injury. Uh, they are a party to, I would say that's criminal activity uh, what social media companies are doing right now with regards to uh, censorship on this issue, I would say it, it does drift into the realm of criminality because they are shutting down genuine uh, stuff that's in the public interest. Why? Uh, because they claim it's medical misinformation. But what are they doing? Are they really just protecting the transnational pharmaceutical cartel and the political interests that are tied to it? I think they might be. I think they might. Uh, and just to remind everybody uh, what the situation is with uh, clotting and COVID vaccine science, because, uh, and this article from Dr. Mike Williams on the UK column, if you haven't read it yet, please do read it. It is really important. And when you're talking about potential liability, it's really important because one of the points of this 
article fairly strongly makes uh, is that uh, the, the, the toxicity of the spike protein uh, was absolutely understood in the scientific literature for a long period of time before the drugs companies decided to use the spike protein as the mechanism for generating antibodies. Uh, and so we've got a quote here. Uh, in short, some of the patients were positive for antibodies uh, and the authors concluded that the AstraZeneca vaccine is associated with development of uh, pro-thrombotic disorder and clinically resembles heparin-induced uh, th uh, thrombocytopenia, uh, but which shows different serological profile. The proposed calling, sorry, they proposed calling the new problem vaccine-induced prothrombotic immune thrombocytopenia, uh, VIPID. Uh, something tells me that this name is going to change ASAP. Well, it may well do, but this article absolutely makes it clear um, that uh, uh, there was it was understood in the literature for quite some time that the spike protein was uh, didn't stay in any one location in the body, spread throughout the body, caused problems in lots of different parts of the body, basically every organ in the body. That was understood before these vaccines were produced. Yeah, so the distribution, the, what they call the bio, the bio distribution of this particular uh, molecule that's being uh, introduced or that your body's manufacturing as a result of the vaccine, it spreads everywhere and they're finding it spreading in the most sensitive areas. It's passing the blood-brain barrier. Uh, with women, it's a, it potentially attacking the placenta, men, the testes. There's an infertility discussion about the risks of infertility from this as well. This is a well-had discussion, by the way. It's not happening in our forum yet. We're still gathering more information on it, but there's a lot of doctors and scientists who are publishing and discussing this as we speak. And why are you not hearing this in the mainstream media? This is an important question that people need to ask their politicians and also that people need to ask their mainstream media, corporate media, uh, editors and producers and people like this. Okay, good news from the Times, Patrick. Uh, the low COVID reinfection rate suggests lasting immunity. Now, the, the implications of this article, or the, what they're trying to imply, is that it, the vaccine is working, it is doing its job, and therefore low reinfection uh, is uh, suggesting lasting immunity. They say a tiny proportion of people have been reinfected with coronavirus, according to an analysis of 4 million confirmed infections. Um, well, actually, when you go to the uh, uh, source of this information, which is a, uh, a Public Health England press release, uh, it says, for the first time, Public Health England has today published population surveillance data on possible coronavirus reinfections to help monitor and understand the risk of people catching COVID-19 again. This data will be published regularly as part of the Public Health England weekly surveillance report. Uh, the current data shows that there's a low risk of reinfection of SARS-CoV-2. Uh, there were 15,893 possible reinfections with SARS-CoV-2 uh, identified up to the 30th of May 2021 in England throughout the pandemic out of nearly 4 million people with confirmed infections. And the key point here is that uh, the timescales involved in this study, uh, it's from June 2020 up until May 2021. So this, in fact, has got nothing to do with uh, vaccination because, of course, uh, the vaccination program didn't even begin until mid-December or so. So a lot of this uh, data is coming from six months, you know, over the period six months prior to the first vaccination. Um, so it can't be down to that uh, exclusively, in which case, where is this immunity coming from, um, which is uh, preventing reinfection? I don't know, Mike. Do you think that 
Do you think that humans, this is a big stretch by the way, and we might get fact checked for this. Do you think humans have a natural immune system? Because I think I've heard that they do. I That's a scurrilous, scurrilous suggestion. I don't I know, know where you're this, getting that from. Could, this, this could get us kicked off YouTube. Actually, well, sorry, we already kicked off YouTube. But yeah, humans have an, uh, uh, it's a big conspiracy. I don't even want to talk about it, Mike. It's too controversial. But, but Public Health England, how are they defining an infection, Mike? They said they've got all these millions of infections. How do they define an infection? Positive PCR test, Patrick. Ah. Oh. But anyway. Okay, interesting. Yes. So all that data is really robust then. Certainly. Yeah, okay. Let's move on. Uh, if you like what the UK Column does, you would like to support us, then please head over to ukcolumn.org forward slash community and there are options to help us out there. Uh, and also do share our material on the various platforms while we're still, still able to use them. Uh, and Patrick, another reminder that you have a special limited edition t-shirt available on the UK Column uh, store. Uh, and uh, loving the old normal. Loving the old, it's a shame, another shameless plug here, Mike, for really the hottest uh, protest t-shirt that's out there. Uh, that's a soft spun Gildad cotton with uh, loving the old normal. And on the back, we are all essential. And I'm telling you, uh, people have sent me feedback. They've been wearing this, this shirt around town and they have been triggering a lot of people. So if you like triggering people, uh, people, especially people who like their masks and don't want to get rid of their masks, Wear this T-shirt, and you will trigger a lot of people. And it's a great icebreaker as well. You can make friends with a shirt like this. You go hiking, you wear that. If you're a guy or a girl, you can possibly make a date out of it. So it's really good. And we're coming out with another version for uh, dachshunds and other house pets, uh, hopefully uh, later in the summer. Right, okay. Now, uh, let's move on to this then. Uh, there's been a memorandum doing the rounds uh, labeled Imperial College London. Uh, it's to a bunch of people, at, uh, including Dr. Susan Mikey, uh, Dr. Richard Taylor, Dr. Patrick Valance, Dr. Jonathan Van Tam, and Chris Whitty. And it's claimed to come from uh, Neil M. Ferguson. It's dated the 14th of June, 2021. And its subject is Next Steps, Permanent Lockdown of the UK. So let's just have a look at, uh, well, it begins by saying, with the impending decision and announcement to be made later today by the Prime Minister in regards to the four-week extension of the lockdown of the United Kingdom, we now have a relatively short window of opportunity in which to finalize our next steps of the process. Uh, and uh, well, the first hint that this was satire, Patrick, uh, came in the final sentence that you can see on screen there. It says, in short, this will be moving towards a permanent lockdown of the country from Thursday, the 15th of July, uh, with the reasons for doing so uh, being a spike in the new Indian and Nepal variants of the virus, uh, which we, as we know, is just a rebranding of hay fever. Now, many people have, have recognized that uh, the latest symptoms for the Delta variant uh, pushed by the mainstream press over the last couple of days are very similar to hay fever. And in fact, your comment earlier, Patrick, was that we're seeing a rerun of the same gags they played last year. This was a gag that they played last year as well by uh, rebranding hay fever as COVID symptoms. But let's look at what else this memorandum says. Uh, if we can get the message out that because of these variants, uh, because these variants are going to be... Uh, be multiple and will completely crash the NHS if not correctly dealt with and immediately, then the public should be compliant and the compliance and unquestioning nature of the masses will be crucial in getting us across the finishing line uh, and so on. And they start talking about Kalergi and the WAF slash Schwab plan. They misspelled uh, Klaus Schwab, I think. Uh, uh, yeah. I think so, yeah. And uh, uh, 
further reasons such as the environment and water scarcity, food shortages and global finance and mass uh, inflation, culminating in finalization of the UN, WHO and WEF joint global Kalergi plan in 2025. Yeah, a little so, bit too much on the Kalergi there. That so sort of gave it away, didn't it? It did, yes. So, yeah. so they're absolutely getting all the buzzwords out. And then, of course, we've got a whole bunch of new variants. Uh, the Capital variant centered in London, the Dorset variant set, centered on Bournemouth. Uh, the border variant centered on England-Scotland border. So anyway, this uh, was originally, Patrick, uh, as far as I can discover, originally appeared on 4chan, the discussion forum. Okay. Of course. Okay. But, but what was very interesting that all the while that this was being spread around like wildfire, wildfire on social media, that if anybody had gone back to the 4chan discussion thread, they would have seen that almost immediately... Uh, many, many comments uh, saying, well, this is this is nonsense, it's fake news, it's it's satire, whatever it is. So the 4chan uh, people very quickly got to grips with what this actually was, completely fake. Uh, now, so why, why has it uh, been created? Well, it could be somebody having a joke. Uh, it could be uh, it could be the government uh, at work or, tracking tracking the trend through social media. Or it could be Christopher Steele. I mean, it's got that sort of fantasy fiction style of writing that uh, you saw in a lot of stuff coming out of uh, Christopher Steele's uh, workshops there with, that, that, uh, with regards to the fake Trump reports. So it, it, it's clearly a hoax when you read it. And if actually the easiest way, and I'll let you in on our secrets, okay, how we do vetting of forensic documents, you just go and you do a search for Imperial College documents, and you can probably find even letters from Neil Ferguson online. You do it, you match the fonts, you match the letter format. Institutions have certain formats in which they draft memos and letters, and you just compare uh, the styles and the structure and so forth. That's the first way that you can eliminate uh, and then you just look at the text. If it's too obvious, then obviously. But people out there that like, when they see Kalergi, they get triggered. Mm. So they think, oh, it says Kalergi, and no one's talking about Kalergi, so therefore it must be true. It says Klaus Schwab on it, and they're not talking, the media's not talking about Schwab, so this must be secret, must be a secret document. I mean, how people can fall for this stuff. And some people even know that it's fake, Mike. They even know it might be fake. They share it on social media, and they push it through Facebook messaging and and telegram groups anyway, okay? Mm. And why? They say, and I've challenged people on this, they say, well, it, it might be fake, it might be true, but uh, these people are evil and you know, we need to still you know, push it out anyway, just in case. Let me tell you, that's exactly what the mainstream media do with their fake news. And you challenge somebody in the mainstream circles, they say, hey, that's a fake story about Trump or Russia. And they say, it's okay, it doesn't matter, he's still uh, in collusion, colluding with the Russians. He's, he's Putin's agent. So I don't care if it's false, uh, push it out anyway. So listen, if, do not adopt the exact same attitude that mainstream media and mainstream political people have for fake news because this is the source of all of our problems, okay? So if you're in the alternative community, you should have a little more discernment, at least more than the mainstream crowd when it comes to the fake news, okay? That's all we're saying. Well, that's a very good point. And the other point that I just want to make is, I'm just going to put this back on screen again. This, just to give people again an idea of the scale of the government's censorship network. Now, what they are doing is they are pushing, they're seeding fake information into social media networks. They're using the National Security Communications Team, the Rapid Response Unit, the fake news units to do this. Uh, they're then monitoring how that information spreads, how it's shared, who's sharing, who, who are they sharing it to, 
what kind of information in a piece of, uh, in a meme or whatever it happens to be, what is it that triggers people and causes them to share it? They are using this to build justification for the online safety bill, which is coming into parliament in the, not, in the coming weeks. Um, and if that bill passes, and if we give them the ammunition to allow that bill to pass, uh, then that will shut down freedom of speech on the internet 100%. So we have got to stop. We have got to make sure that, that there is no justification given to anybody for, uh, for to push that bill through. And we've got to start campaigning with our MPs to make sure that that bill doesn't pass in its present form. Um, it is not necessary. Uh, the kinds of justifications that they're using for it, child sexual exploitation online, terrorism content online, there are already laws in place to deal with those things. The police already uh, pursue cases, of, and they have done for years, Mike. Right. So why do you need a new raft? So the of new raft of legislation is there to deal with what the government is branding as disinformation and misinformation. And that's all it's for. Which is anything that challenges the official narrative, right? Basically, and we and uh, the more of that type of material that gets spread, uh, then the more justification that they, they will perceive that they have for pushing forward with that piece of legislation. And that, I think, is the danger here as well. So before you hit share, take uh, take a deep breath, look at what you're looking at there, go look at other sources, see if anyone else is talking about it, uh, use Google or a search engine to find out if it exists anywhere else, and then do, do a little bit of research. If it's too good to be true or too crazy to be true, often it is. I'm not saying that every time that's the case. So again, use a little bit of self-discipline, use a little bit of discernment, use the search engine, use internet tools to try to triangulate where the information might be coming from and try to validate it, see if anyone else is talking about it, make your decision, and then maybe share it with your friends. But don't just hit share uh, like in a knee-jerk fashion, which a lot of people do. And we have all done it, and we've all been guilty of doing it at some point uh, in our digital uh, lives, so nobody's perfect, but we're just saying use discretion. Um, okay, now the question then is, uh, will the lockdown be lifted? Is there going to be a winter lockdown? What is going to happen? Uh, well, quite a, there's been quite a bit of discussion in the House of Commons about this over the last uh, couple of days. Uh, and we're going to start, um, well, I'm just, in, to lead into this, I'm just going to start off by showing a little excerpt from uh, Des, the Desmond Swain's uh, speech here. I have a listen to this, but also, Pay attention to what's going on around them. I never believed that it was proportionate, even from the outset, for ministers to take such liberties with our liberty. I, I always thought it was wrong for them to take our freedoms, even though they believed that they were acting in our best interests in an emergency. But by any measure, that emergency has now passed. And yet freedoms are still withheld, and the government will not allow us to assess for ourselves the risks that we are prepared to encounter in our ordinary, everyday lives. The government does not trust the people that it governs. Now, many members of SAGE have been out on the SAGE. There's a misnomer, if ever there was one. But members of SAGE have been out busily undermining public morale, one of them even sharing her dystopian vision that we must all remain masked and distanced in perpetuity. A shock. So I'm going to stop it there because it had me in stitches, Patrick. He is decrying 
the fact that uh, senior member of SAGE is suggesting that we have to remain masked and socially distanced in perpetuity. And let's just... Uh, I never believed... Sorry, let's just uh, put uh, that up on screen and let's point a few things out as they're all sitting there masked. Uh, they've got their, still got their, uh, their, their high-vis uh, tape all over the place. Sa safety tape. Safety tape everywhere because they've got to remain socially distanced. And they've got all their boxes uh, and every, various bits screened off with perspex. They've got the toys screened off, all, all the trinkets. All the trinkets screened off with perspex. Oh. And so while Desmond Swain is, is waxing lyrical about this, he doesn't, at the same time, he doesn't seem to see the irony of the fact that, that there's Steve Baker sitting right behind him with his mask on along with the rest. Uh, and, and there's high-vis tape on the floor yes. of the House of Commons, so yes. literally to tell them where they can stand. And, you know, like two feet is too close, but three feet's okay, because Covey, as we've told you from the beginning, can only jump uh, a very short distance. So so the, they they can protest as much as they like, but they're still maintaining this the theater. theater of of the whole lot. But look, let's go back to the mail again, and here we are, face masks forever. Uh, self-isolation and travel quarantine to stay, more restrictions in the, in the winter, question mark. Leaked, step four, Whitehall document reveals how new normal could look even after July 19th, New Freedom Day, as MPs voted through the delay. And what are they saying? A leaked document gave a glimpse of the UK's potential new normal today with face masks, working from home, uh, and travel quarantine rules set to stay even beyond July the 19th because they can't lift the lockdown. We've said it before. They said this would be the last lockdown. And if they lift it, if they lift it then they're going to have to be called out as being liars once again. So they're not going to lift it fully because that means that we, they can increase it again in September uh, and, and not, have, uh, not have been perceived to have lied. But anyway, the Whitehall uh, paper suggests that the government will stop short of urging workers to return to offices even after the new target for lifting restrictions finally arrives. There's also a suggestion that phase masks will be needed in some settings long-term, as well as keeping post-travel isolation rules. So this document was apparently seen by Politico. It emerged as uh, Boris Johnson's crunch bill to delay the return to freedom passed through the House of Commons, winning 461 uh, uh, votes and uh, 60 against. Uh, victory was guaranteed for the government as Labour threw its backing behind the extension of the restrictions. So yep, the opposition Labour. The opposition Labour providing no opposition uh, at all. Now, what did Boris Johnson have to say about it? Well, he said this, nobody, least of all me, wants to see COVID restrictions last forever. And uh, so this is typical political language. He's not denying that uh, COVID restrictions will last forever. He's not saying COVID restrictions are not going to last forever. He's not saying that. He's saying that he doesn't want to see COVID restrictions last forever. Yeah, he's feigning. He's feigning that he would be gutted uh, if if restrictions were to extend. It's like it's like the uh, the you know the the headmaster or the parent discipline. It, it hurts me more than it hurts you. You know when they pull the paddle out. Basically, I mean this is just absolute gaslighting. It's unbelievable. So anyway, the the Politico apparently has. Uh, published the fact that it's aware of this document. There was a question then raised in Parliament, so let, let's just ask. Uh, the question was uh, was asked of the government, uh, and then Mark Harper, who's a Tory MP, uh, intervened on that question. Let's have a listen to this. I'd be interested to know if the department has developed plans for restrictions this winter, and if the Secretary of State has been discussing it with Whitehall colleagues or not. 
grateful. Just on that point uh, that the Shadow Health Secretary mentioned about those restrictions, um, I, I know that those discussions are, are going on because I've seen documents from within government with very detailed um, suggestions about what measures may continue. So, um, and I asked the Secretary about this um, when he uh, was in the Commons earlier this week and he didn't rule out bringing in restrictions this winter, which is one of the reasons. Uh, and so that's that's pretty clear. Patrick, there is conversation, there is discussion going on. There are very, very likely to be further restrictions this winter. Uh, it, of course, is all going to be based on the variant narrative, uh, which I hope uh, the first part of this program has uh, you know, given a bit of perspective on. He said detailed plans, didn't he? Yes. Detailed plans. So, so I think it's pretty clear from that, Mike, and what you showed right before that, that uh, the government is intending to re-lockdown again yes. as, a, as a routine uh, in the fall, uh, in the winter. And then they will also then ramp up whatever the new vaccine schedule is. Uh, we'll be waiting uh, with bated breath, won't we, uh, to find out how that's gonna be. Now, uh, the question is, are all vaccines the same? Well, th this is the thing. Once you start getting into the enforcement of the experimental uh, pharmaceutical injections, uh, apparently, you know, some injections are more equal than others. than others. So we're getting into the pharmaceutical animal farm uh, narrative here. And uh, what what best to illustrate animal farm than the bread and circuses that is mainstream uh, highbrow entertainment. And fans who had AstraZeneca vaccines won't be allowed to see Bruce Springsteen at his coming New York concerts. We told you last week about the vaccine-only concerts by the Strokes. Uh, the boss, Bruce Springsteen, and who else? The Foo Fighters uh, as well there. There's Bruce Springsteen. I can't imagine the amount of hate mail that he's gotten in the last couple of weeks since he's completely sold out to the pharmaceutical industry here. But so here it is, Mike. The approved jab list uh, will be limited to only to jabs approved by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Not licensed, mind you. Approved. Approved in emergency use authorization. Those are Moderna, Pfizer, uh, and Johnson and Johnson. So the experimental vaccines on the approved list. So in other words, if you've been injected uh, in this human experiment, you will be allowed to see the boss uh, at Madison Square Garden, and you'll be allowed to dance in the dark, Mike. Uh, so any potential concert goers who received their Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine overseas will be left with the prospect of being turned away at the door should they book tickets. So sorry about that. But welcome to your brave new world. Mm -hmm. This is what it's going to be like. And here's the boss again. So at the direction of New York State, that's Andrew Cuomo, uh, Springsteen on Broadway and the St. James Theater will only be accepting proof of FDA-only COVID-19 vaccine, says the official website. So there you go, vaccine apartheid, not only in the unvaccinated and the vaccinated, but depending on which corporation uh, you've injected your body with which product yes so isn't that interesting so they're just going to keep making it up as they go along and so what's this going to mean with russian and chinese vaccines are those going to be legitimate vaccines i don't think so no. we, we could have vaccine borders drawn across this world don't think that that is not a possibility and don't think that that is not even being worked out right now in brussels with their new digital wallet they rebranded their vaccine passport. It's not a green passport anymore. No, they got a lot of pushback from that. So Ursula van der Leyen put her thinking helmet on, which is always on, by the way, it's blonde, and she's changed it and rebranded it to the digital wallet. So, and that's gonna have your vaccine information 
loaded onto it, along with probably all of your other health information uh, and medical information, Mike. So isn't that a good thing to be traveling? So wherever border you cross through, uh, you, you have to show basically your whole medical and health information that's there, uh, along with whatever, maybe even your criminal record, your grades from school, uh, a list of whatever drugs you're taking. What do you think? Everything's going to be on there. Sounds good. So yes. if you're in the EU, you can look forward to that. So um, we're short on time. We're going to talk we're about Biden, Biden. So we, 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 yeah, we're completely out of time. We, we can the Biden segment. But let me just give you in one sentence a synopsis. Um, Joe was hardly awake during the summit. And uh, Vladimir Putin says that him and his team had a good laugh. And it was like having the queen mom for scones and tea. Good. That's the basically. So if you want to read about it, go online. So I, suffice to say, we'll, we'll wrap this show up, Mike, and uh, thank you for uh, the extended broadcast this week. But all the stuff that we talked about, you know, we're talking about winter lockdowns, fall lockdowns. We're trying to get ahead of the, of the story. We're trying to get ahead of the story. This is what UK Column does. This is what 21st Century Wired does. Right. This is what we try to do. But so often, Mike, we don't see that in the mainstream media outlets, do we? No. It's not about getting ahead. It's about reacting and so that you follow the little bouncing ball that the mainstream media set the pace and the tone for that little bouncing ball with the lyrics of whatever childlike song that they're going to play that they want you to follow right and so isn't that what the mainstream media does so we don't need any more of those outlets do we haven't we got enough of those already well well you would think so but but one a new one's been launched, hasn't it, this week? It has indeed, yes. It's called GB News, and it's been uh, marketed as the alternative to mainstream. And so this is a Twitter account called GB News Fails. It's already got 63,000-odd followers, Mike, in just uh, a couple of days. And if you scroll down uh, on this, um, you'll see that it's got, yeah, it'll go automatically. Yeah, it's these are all the bloopers from the last 48 hours, literally. It's like an endless stream. I, I, I have not laughed so hard, Mike, since, and I didn't, I haven't actually watched any of their full programming, but the amount of bloopers that they're releasing, I think this is getting more traction than their actual programming. Isn't this amazing? Uh, it's, it's been spectacular. I've been really impressed with it. And there's Andrew Neal himself, uh, obviously former uh, BBC, spent 30 years, how long at BBC? 30, 30 years as a gatekeeper? Yes. At, uh, at the BBC. So one might ask, what does he know about running a news channel, Mike? Well, judging by the amount of gaffes and bloopers, mind you, they're probably going to iron this out, aren't they? It'll be okay in a couple of weeks, right? So there might be less and less of these gaffes and bloopers, but... Let's wait and see. I hope so. <laughs> but I can guarantee you that they're not going to get ahead of any stories that are important. They're going to wait and do what the BBC, ITV, and Channel 4 do, keep you in the dark, Okay, feed you propaganda mainly, and then sort of tell you so that they can react to it, so they can get reactions, but they'll never let you get ahead. Mm -hmm. This is the problem with the mainstream media, and unfortunately, we've got another outlet doing exactly the same thing as all the other institutional outlets. So what do you expect? It's probably staffed by mostly BBC, ex-BBC people, isn't it? Uh, well, I don't know that, but I would, I, I suspect that well, is the case. And, and I was saying to you before the program, uh, I can't remember his name, Mark, whatever his name was, the BBC journalist that came out into the crowd at Downing Street that we were highlighting on Wednesday's programme. He, he began that situation uh, by looking at the, uh, the microphone from 
uh, GB resistance. Uh, they saw the GB on it. He thought it was GB news. And he was very, very happy to speak to them, a BBC journalist. So, you know, that should tell us uh, everything we need to know about uh, GB news, I suspect. He treated them as friendly, right? Correct. Amazing. Yes. Amazing. Well, there you go. Okay, well, we've got to leave it there for today. Thank you very much for joining us today, Patrick. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back at the same time, 1 p.m. as usual on Monday. Hope you have a great weekend and see you then. Bye-bye.